Welcome to Design Talk. This season's theme is Designing Organizations. We'll be talking with entrepreneurs and product owners about building teams, shaping organizations, working with partners, suppliers, and customers. Good morning, Damien. Uh, thank you for joining us. Um, it's a pleasure to meet you. Um, my colleague Christopher and I have a couple of questions, but we'd perhaps like to start by maybe getting you to tell us a little bit about yourself. Cool. Thanks very much. So, pleasure to be here, everybody. So, good morning, everybody, both here in present and online for everybody, right? So, my name is Damien Scattergood, and I'm the Managing Director of Star Translation here in Ireland. Uh, so, I'm a very old man, right? But I've been in the business for since probably about 1990, right? Um, so, what I hope to share with you today is my sort of views of the past, the present, and the future of localization and translation and outsourcing and all that sort of stuff um, and give everybody here some insights into the challenges that we have today uh, and the opportunities we have in the future uh, and let you guys sort of come up with the solutions and run with that from there so so hopefully that'll be valuable to you in terms of your own learning right um, a, t- a tiny bit about my background just to sort of give you uh, some useful information is that I actually started in software development in the 80s so in the old days here in Ireland where we were writing programs and doing basic things like that, right? But then the world sort of became an open place and everybody starts to say, well, can we translate this? Can we take this program and bring it to France? And that was the first port of call for me, right? And we started to translate. So I learned the translation business. Uh, I've worked in a variety of different companies uh, doing translation, doing localization, doing software development, doing international coding website design so very very widespread Uh, I've done sales development business development Uh, so from that it's given me a very big insight I work for American companies. Uh, I now, with Star, Star is actually sort of a Swiss company and it's an unusual company, which we'll talk about probably later. Uh, But hopefully that gives you at least a little bit of background of who I am. Um, I tend to talk a lot, which is the reason why Alan got me here today. Uh, So, and I'm very open to sharing my experiences and my knowledge with everybody here. To grow all the time in business, you're constantly looking for new knowledge and new experiences. So I don't know everything, but I know a lot of people who know a lot of stuff. And we share that information with each other all of the time. And that's how I learn, and that's how I grow. And I do that all of the time. And that's one of the key things that makes it exciting for me. Yeah, so you already mentioned our buzzword today, and I guess some of us might not know what it is. So can you tell us, what is localization? So this is actually, believe it or not, that's the hardest question for me to answer of all the questions I was thinking I was going to get asked today. Uh, There's a couple of different definitions of localization, um, and it gets mixed with translation and localization and software localization and things like that. So as a very simple term, I define localization as the process of taking a product and through a series of translations, taking it and translating it into a new product that you can sell to a new locale, right? Now, I have sort of two examples I wanted to give you that sort of explain that in sort of simpler terms, right? So um, the simplest definition of localization could be you take a, a book or a manual and you translate it into the French, German, and Italian. That now becomes a French book or an Italian book. It's a product that I can now sell in another location. So that's a straightforward localization. We've localized the product. So it's all about product management, right? Um, the other sort of simpler side might be uh, it's outside the translation, where let's say you've got a website and you're selling products in the States and you're selling in dollars. But you want to bring that to Europe. So now you have to say, right, we have to, can we handle 
euros. Oh, and then, sorry, we know we also have UK, so we need to have dollar, we need to have pounds, right? So you go through all of this process, and then you go, oh yeah, the address. Oh, we don't have zip codes in Europe. We have, oh, we do in some countries. Now we have postal codes, or PO codes, right? All these air codes, right? So you have all of this stuff to, go, to, to think about, right? And then you've got cultural differences. Uh, oh, we don't use red. No, red's not a good, good colour to use in that country. Maybe blue is better. Uh, the Germans, right? We don't drive on the right-hand side of the road. We drive on the left-hand side of the road. So images might have to be changed. So that's a localization of English content. But in the same light, it's the same process that I described, where you're taking an English product or a product and by going through a process of translation and modification, you define it, you change it into a locale, a new product that you can sell somewhere else. So that's how I sort of view localization. Now it has got even more complex than that, because now in the world that we, we live in today, we have the likes of video, you've got movies, you've got all forms of multimedia, so it's now a media uh, uh, process. Uh, and there's a, a huge amount of more uh, localization um, requirements that are needed in that space. So that's sort of the new, the, new, the new place where we're going. And that's what makes it more, that's what makes it really challenging for us now and more exciting. Damien, that, that's really interesting. Thank you. You've described a very complex and interesting business with a fairly massive global footprint. Can you tell us a little bit about what outsourcing as a sort of strategic driver has? What sort of role does that have in a, in a, in a business like Star? Um, that's a, that's a very big, complicated question, right? But I'll try, try and answer that one. Probably, I'll just one piece that might be useful is just to go back a tiny bit, because just in my introduction, just to give people a view of what STAR is, because STAR uses uh, a combination of outsourcing methods, depending on what we do. So STAR is, is one of the largest translation companies in the world. So we have 900 employees across 50 global offices. So just managing that is a challenge in its own right. Um, and in terms of, of outsourcing, everything I describe, I, I can sometimes, I'm a, a theoretical thinker, right? So I tend to look at things as a, as a big grid. So if you take everything, there's this massive square grid of millions of boxes, and there are many paths to get through that, through that grid, right? Uh, and within an environment, if you think we have 50 offices, the combination of communications that we could possibly have are astronomical, right? It's 50 to the power of 50 as far as I can remember, right? So uh, that's my maths coming out, right? Um, so STAR is unusual in that we do not have a central core in the business. So you can't say, where's headquarters? We have headquarters, right? But we don't have a, this is where everything happens. We configure our network very differently depending on what we want to do. So for example, when I'm here in Dublin, I can pre present myself to a customer and say, I am the center of the universe and we can do everything for you in 50 languages, right? Or 100 languages or whatever. Now, but I can also say that, well, here's what we can do locally for you because as a local company, we have these skills, right? In the same light, every star office has different people and those people also have different skills. So I know, for example, that uh, if I wanted to do a content management system around a certain platform, Gary in Sweden is the man I call. The guys in, in Switzerland know if they want to talk about WordPress and how to translate WordPress, they come to me. So we configure our network internally towards what our customers ask us, right? So 
so from it, so internally we have what I call insourcing. So which is sort of a different story. Everybody talks about you know, outsourcing. So there's outsourcing, but there's insourcing within our own network, and we have to manage that as well, right? And it's very important for us. So strategically, then, which is sort of where you originally came from, right? Um, you have to look at what we want to try and achieve. If we had this big mega 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 corporation, what can happen is is that we can be very slow and we can say, well, you have to do it this way. And then that doesn't meet the local customer demands. Because if someone wants something A, B, and C, I can't turn around to them and say, well, sorry, we don't do that because the big box doesn't do that, right? We have to be able to configure ourselves. And that's a challenge for us, right? So we have to judge what skills we're good at and what skills uh, we're not good at, right? And that's also a very important, you know, as a company, in a company, you do actually have to sit back. And I, I don't see a lot of people doing this all the time, but they should do it more. Sit back and work out what you're really bad at, right? You know, I'm very good at doing this, right? You know, we are really, really bad at this. We are not doing it anymore. So we have to do something else, right? Um, because there are people in the world better than us at certain aspects of the business, right? Um, and that's where we, we, we choose to outsource, right? If, um, where I, I look at the top level, I'm a great believer in Michael Porter's uh, philosophy uh, of competitive advantage. And he looks at the entire value chain of any supplier uh, relationship. So you look at the entire value chain of a company, how you, what you produce, how you produce it, all the elements of that. And in that, he, the, his philosophy is, is, is to look at the elements that are strong where we add value, and then the elements that we are weak on where we're not adding value. Or maybe not, not that we're weak, but areas that we don't add value. If you're not adding value, those areas of your business or those areas of your supply chain are options to outsource because you may find someone who actually adds value. And Damien, to that point then, what, what actually is the core element of the value chain? Where do you guys add value and does that live in a particular location or is actually globally distributed and so that you're assembling globally distributed teams for each client? So both is actually the answer. So we have local talent and we have global talent. So if you look at Star as an organization, our big value add is our complexity, right? So we are a one-stop shop. So the fact that we have so much firepower across the world, if you ask me to do something in 40 or 50 languages and I say, oh, we have to do this next week, that's actually very easy for us to do because we're set up to do it. We have the people to do it. The fact that we have so many offices, we do it simultaneously. So it's very easy for me to start a project today in 50 languages and have it done by next week. That's an easy job to do. Um, so that's one advice. So, if you are if you're thinking about uh, uh, one of our client companies, so if you're you know a, a, a company trying to release a product and they're trying to develop that product in lots of different languages, you're a product manager and you're trying to get, oh, I have to get the legals right, I have to get the health and safety right in this country, and now I have to get the language right, and you're doing all of this type of work, that that becomes a big job. And then, oh, and somebody says, oh, you remember that project? Can we add on Israel? Or, or, or we need, uh, you know, we're, we're thinking of going out to Indonesia. Can we do that language? And then you go, how am I going to do this, right? They just turn to us and go, there's another language. How can you deal with this? And we go, yes, we have the expertise to deal with that for you, right? And that's the value add. So it's not that just a pure sort of yes little box we have the translation tick. 
we can deal with the complexity, we know what the some of the local requirements are, and we can we can take that weight off you, right? So that's sort of the higher level, right? And then on the local level side, then you have the expertise at local level that we, we have. Uh, you know, I, for example, my team, we have built up expertise around translating cybersecurity products. Uh, uh, we know the software side of it. We know the terminology side of it. We have uh, processes in place for doing some of the, the getting some of their content just right for them. Uh, so that gives us a local edge. So you sort of balance that, um, and then there are the, the elements obviously that we outsource as well. Yeah, I think it's pretty common for businesses to outsource their language services. Um, but what capabilities would you recommend client organizations to keep in-house, or put another way, what does your ideal client look like? Okay, so again, another tricky question because the world, one of the things you have to re realize is the world is very different. Um, one of the things, it's sort of a cliche, but the world is a very small place and it is getting even smaller, right? So we don't actually have an ideal client. We have clients that fit into certain types of boxes, right? One of the things you also need to do is we need to look at our capabilities and the customer's challenges as well. So we fit certain types of customers. So there are many, many translation companies. There's probably, you know, there are thousands of translation companies. Um, you know, if you look at the top 10 companies in the world, we're, we'd be one of them, right? They're actually reasonably different, believe it or not. And they, they fit different types of clients, if that makes sense to you. Um, some clients, if you look at an example of, because uh, I was thinking about this question in terms of uh, the, you know, the likes of Google and something like that. When you get so many people in the world, uh, it's, when your organization gets so big, you cannot have all the translation people in the one place, right? So there's no way that Google can say, right, we're going to deliver to 200 languages, uh, so we need all those 200 language people, which is probably about 50,000 people, all sitting in Dublin, right? It's not going to happen because you physically can't do it, right? So what they have to try and do is they've got to work out what elements we need to keep and what elements we outsource, right? So in one way at the moment, the, the, the recommendations at the moment are, are, are to keep some of the social side of it in-house. So customer support, usually in-house uh, because it's very quick, it's demanding, and, it's, and the, the, you can be asked almost anything under the sun. So there's no, it's very challenging to process that, to, to processize it, right? Um, you know, there are things like translating tweets. So some people translate tweets to use it internally. Some people don't, right? Uh, I know Twitter have their own network for translating uh, random tweets and things like that, right? So, so that can be that can be one. So, so you start off with what content is light and volume, and then you look at what content is solid and re repeatable. So. Well, I say customer service, sometimes you can outsource it. There are elements of customer service that we get sent, right? So an example might be anybody sells something. The first thing you're going to get asked is, how much is it? Is it any good? Give me the spec, right? They're the first three questions you're going to get asked, right? So you should always know the answers to those three questions in every language under the sun. So that's one of the things where all the good uh, marketing people will have all the standard answers and the standard questions. Uh, and they, they can reply, they can have all those, those professionally done. Uh, so that's one way of doing it. So that gives them the scalability. So it's only when you get the sort of a, the odd question. Yeah, I know you might be saying that, but what about when I run it on my XYZ processor and I have this sort of funny thing? 
that's where you have to get someone locally that says, actually, you know what, Stavros knows the answer to that one, <laughs> right? So that's where you have the local guys. So does that sort of answer the question in terms of where, where you sort of take the balance of, 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 of talent and skills? Um, and actually, I was just going to add to that, that also probably, you know, you're also probably thinking as well as, you know, will, will all the, uh, there are skills human skills are so so important and that's where the super value add comes in you know and and, 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 we and might that come will back. always be there that's a really important point and we might come back to that in a minute Demi. actually one thing i wanted to ask you about was you mentioned ireland yes. um and just maybe to understand how um how important is the irish operation in the context of, of star as a global business and what attracted you to ireland what sort of skills were relevant for you in in putting down a footprint here yeah, uh, that's a, well. That's a million dollar question, actually, Jane. Well, probably for us, we're. I think all we probably look at most of our organization, or most of the organizations, companies as being equally sort of important, right? Uh, because it, it's another piece in the chain. I know for the Irish operation, one of the key things for us here is to get access to some of the U.S. companies because there's so much U.S. multinational base here, and we're sort of we're, we're it's almost like you know we're, we're we're the hinge on that door between Europe and the States, and that's what our key sort of role is, and that's why the guys put put us here, and that, and that's sort of my, my my thing. So I'm always looking at the who's who's going from a, from A to B, um, because there, there's a, there's a Ireland is a good base because we have a huge, you know, we started here in 1980s. I was one of the sort of the first people in, and, you know, and Alan is the same, you know, localization business, right? Um, so, uh, um, the, uh, I was just on Alan's age there, right? The, <laughs> but, uh, but we had the localization business started here, so we have good software expertise. And that good software expertise led to a market where the US company started to say it was economical to take a product into Europe by getting it translated and you know worked on here and then that grew and then the translation and localization business grew around that and then we had all the extra skills around translating di different languages doing video doing multimedia mm -hmm. and, and that's sort of you know has really sort of expanded and that's why ireland has always been a, a sort of a very good uh base to get in across the world we started off going into europe mm -hmm. but now we go everywhere and you mentioned some of the technologies there that have sort of grown up over time. I understand you guys were early adopters of machine translation technologies. So machine translation is an interesting one, right? Because it's, it's, a, it's a tool that we use. Uh, but it's not one of the, the big tools. It's one of... It's, when it started off in the 80s, people were sort of saying, you know, oh, you know, it'll... it'll take over the world and all the translation people will be put out of business and you know we'll all but but that's not the case right um machine translation has benefits and it has downsides um it'll never replace everybody uh, but it will replace some of us um probably the simplest way to look at machine translation is is the big picture of the world so i'm going to walk away from technology i'm going to talk about burgers right because another one of my favorite topics right so if you wanted to get a burger today, right, and, and this will all make sense to you, don't worry. Uh, so, <laughs> if, uh, if you want to get a burger today, uh, you know, if you're, if you're a meat eater, actually, and that's it, if you're a meat eater, right, so that's the first question, so I may not want meat, I might want a vegetarian burger, right, or you might want to say, well, hang on a second, well, that's, no, first of all, you've got a choice, right, then the next thing you've got, well, maybe I want a basic burger, go to McDonald's, one euro. Next thing, no, I don't want that one. I want a nicer one, so I'll go for the Big Mac. No, I don't want that, I want something nicer. Uh, and you want to go to a nice, a reasonable restaurant, pay 10 euros, 15 euros for a burger. No, don't want that. I want to go to a five-star restaurant. And you go to a five-star restaurant and you can pay 
whatever you want, right? 50, 60 euros for a burger, right? What's the difference? The difference is the value to you, right? You know, so if I wanted a cheap burger, I have a cheap burger, I'm happy, right? You know, um, it, but if I wanted to dine out, I dine out. It's the experience you're buying, right? There's other things there that are va- of value, right? It might be the hygiene, might be the fact that it's a, v- a vegan burger or whatever, right? So what's the value to you? That vegan burger for two euros might actually be more value than the 50 euros in a posh restaurant, right? Okay, so wind back. Machine translation, right? So machine translation allows you to translate quickly and cheaply, right? So it's not always 100% accurate. And there are reasons behind that, right? So in the flavor of the business today, so we now have, in the old days, in the 80s when I say, right, uh, and 90s, we would have, can you translate all of our content into 20 languages? And that's what we do. But now there's so much content, we can't physically translate it all. Uh, I think Microsoft did a study about two years ago, and they translate about 5% worldwide of their content. And the reason why is because they can't afford to translate. The, like if you look at, uh, if you, and, and what I mean can't afford it, it's not about finance, it's about physically doing it. You look at the amount of help and support pages uh, that are being generated every day for all the content that's out there. You're talking about millions and billions of pages. I don't know if anybody knows that the stats on YouTube. Was it, is it, it's a 20 or 30 minutes of video go up every hour or something like that, or every minute or something like that. It's something astronomical. So if you wanted to translate it, first of all, you wouldn't have enough money and you'd never have enough time, right? So machine translation allows us to take some of those, uh, some of that content and translate it cheaply, freely, and quickly, or, or, or cheaply and quickly. Right? So I'll, gi- I'll give you an example, right? So in the real world, you might have a, a lawsuit, Right, so it comes a patent lawsuit that comes up in some country, France. Right, we pick France because just picking French for, for for this this instance. Now the guys go, well, here's what our patent says, and here's what we think the infringement says. Now we need to get that court case in place in the next three weeks. And it, so the reference material is this library of five billion documents. So find me the reference materials and the, the, the case studies that are relevant to this, right? So what some of the big guys in the States are doing, now this is not, we don't do this, but I know this is what the guys and the legal guys do in the States. They, uh, they will machine translate all of that content into, the tar- into French or into the target language and then use AI to search for, this is, these are the relevant case laws that we need to read. Now, instead of spending now a million pounds for, for 10 grand, 20 grand, you've identified the 40 documents that are relevant to that lawsuit, right? Now, that saves money, you know, and that's the thing. So if you think about, as I think back to my burgers example, and the big sort of recipe or plethora of menu that we need to, that we, we present, people come to us and say, right, I, this is content we need absolutely translated, highest quality possible, you know, you know if we're translating, for example, the way I always I explain this really simply, we translate sometimes operating material for operating theatres, right? Life or death. There is no option for mistakes, right? We have to translate it. We have to proofread it. We have to check it. We have to get it medically checked. And then we give it to the client, right? So that's, that's the type of level that there's your, you know, we're paying for that. We don't negotiate on price. That's what it costs to produce, right? The next sort of level down as well. Look, we, we're, it's, a, it's a manual for a general product. You know, it's a, it's a, it's a razor toaster. That's fine. Ha- there's a level of quality that's expected and that we can deliver. 
you know, and then there's the, you know, I need to read this document. Somebody sent me something from France. I just need to see if it's, if it's okay. And that's another level of translation where you can just say, I can get it roughly translated. Or, look, I just need to have a scan of this. Somebody sent me in an email. What does it say? Your machine translators. So there's a, so that's a very long answer to your question. But, but in terms of, we have learned a lot of uh, good bits and bad bits from machine translation. And it, it's an element in the big picture. Okay, so if you're looking, if you're looking at these technologies from a long-term perspective, like you're sitting in front of approximately 20 international students from all over the world, and we're using services that are like deep learning based all the time to help us with our assignments and papers and all that stuff. Um, so, in terms of those technologies, machine learning, AI, machine translation, where do you see the future of your business in, like, let's say, 10 or 20 years? Um, is there still a place for humans, and if so, where? So. Yes, there will be a place for humans in the future. So that's the positive side, right? The, uh, um, the key thing that the humans bring is, is actually it's intuition and it's the innovation. You know, people ask stupid questions and that's a brilliant thing, right? Why does that work? What happens if I stick my finger in that hole and see what happens, right? That's what I do all day, right? You know, I get paid to do it, right? You know, and if you guys go down the bus, I go, I don't know. I think we should do this, right? Uh, and we do that all the time, right? Uh, but it's, it's having a bit of cap on to say, look, we think there's a, there's a bit of logic here, but also realize that, you know, there's some danger there as well. And it's going to be difficult for the machines to do that. Now, Where the AI comes in then is, is there's the opposite side of that. Well, I go, what happens if I took the name of every single person on the entire planet uh, and worked out which names we could translate? Uh, it's a great question, but I'd never be able to do it. So the AI can say, right, let's, let's run a machine on us, build a model, and let that machine do things for us, right? Uh, good example is, is machine translation, right? So. Here, here's a concept, and this Google has started doing this as well. We have websites being developed all around the world. And I talk about we, I mean everybody here, right? So there are people in Ireland, and we're all developing websites. There are people in France, and they're all developing websites. And there's every country are, are doing this. Uh, sorry, every country is doing this, right? But they're not translations. So that Indonesian website is an Indonesian website. But it must have similar content to me, right? So... What if somebody could index the entire of Google and look at the similarities between those websites? Now, you're not, it's not translation memory as such, but it's like, that's what the Indonesians lads say for what you say in English naming. Do you understand that? And that's sort of like an AI sort of getting similar text, but it's not the same. And that's how the machine translation is moving Uh, at the moment, and that's what Google is doing this, right? They have access, and see, people forget about this. Google have access to every piece of data, and they have people sitting around, and they have data scientists. And I'm like, interesting, we have some people in Star, and their job titles are data scientists, right? And information architects. Like, what's an information architect do, right? So uh, I actually asked them. <laughs> so, so what our information architects do is, it is their job to study information that we have and how to extract information from that. So I'll give you an example, right? So we have, we have a product called Grips uh, and Prisma, and it's, it's like artificial intelligence for manuals, right? So it sounds a bit odd, Damien, right? But I'll exp explain that to you. So let's say we have a bus, and that bus has a maintenance manual, and that manual tells you how to maintain the bus, 
right? Every 5,000 miles, you replace the tires, you check the spark plugs, you do X, Y, and Z, right? That sounds logical to everybody here, right? But do the guys in Italy drive the bus the same way as the guys do in Japan and the UK? If they're driving a bus in the UK, you're stuck in traffic all the time. If you're in Italy, you're going up lots of hills. So the manual is not the same, right? So why do you give the... So if I say to you, right, change the spark plugs every 5,000 miles, might not be right. So what you're then doing is you're, you, we have... A, a link which goes into sort of like, you know, the IoT, Internet of Things and all that sort of stuff, right? So the bus records information and it sends that information back to the central server uh, of the, com the bus company and that then ties it back into the manual. So it knows that that bus in Italy uses the intarder more often and the retarders and all that sort of stuff went up and down the hills uh, and it changes then so it, says, it says the appropriate service pattern for this bus is the following and then it actually tells our software rewrite the Italian manual like this and then it tells the UK manual rewrite the UK manual like this right so you're now building in artificial intelligence into the manual Right, does that make sense? Right. So now that company can can actually say not even more no sorry more so than that bus, but that actual bus that Joe drives has to be maintained like this. And here's Joe's manual, as opposed to here's the you know the Evo bus ABC manual. So that's what we're working on, and we have that product available today. Is that sort of part of the context management uh, sort of idea, or is it even more than that? It's like smart technology, or it's a blend of all of them. It's a blend. It's a blend of all of them, right? Yeah. Because it, it's 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 the we're we're trying to so our information architects are trying to develop the what are the key elements of the bus, right? That need to be maintained, right? And then the the opposite side, then the smart uh, tech is trying to say, well, we have this data, is any good to you? And there, so, so it's a sort of a two-way, and, and it's a partnership that we have to do. And there's a whole load of stuff like that. Um, well, that's an interesting point, because it sort of feeds on to nice segue to the next question, which was about innovation as, as, a, as a driver of business, and how do you manage that? You're sort of telling us that already, so maybe tell us a little bit more about that. So managing innovation is, is tricky, right? Uh, it, it, it almost winds back to remember the very first thing I said when I when I came here is decide what you don't do, and then decide what you do do. Uh, we do not have the firepower or the capacity to do everything in the world that we would like to do. So we have to decide what we are really good at. So you you pinpoint some particular targets that we know or think we have expertise on and then you put a lot of effort into that like that that bus software i we've been developing for nearly 25 years right and you're only seeing it it was only released like about three years ago but i know the guys have been at it for for 25 years and that was you know in, in fairness that's the vision of our ceo mm -hmm. so as a ceo it's one of the challenges you have to do you have to sort of have there, there are levels of, and it's probably useful for you guys in terms of strategy, right? You've got to look at the short-term strategy in terms of, and you know, as a managing director of, of our group, I would be operating on a day-to-day -day level. There's tactical, then there's strategic level, and then there's sort of long-term strategy, and then there's sort of really high-level vision. So our CEO is sort of looking at the obsolescence of what we do. 
So he's, he, and I had this conversation with him, so I, I think I'm free to share some of this with you, that, that his view of the world is that the translation business, as we described earlier on, is not going to be here in 10 years' time or 20 years' time or 30 years' time. We know it's going to go because we're already working on making ourselves up to lease. So what are we good at? What we are good at is information management. You know, we know how to translate. We know how to manage terminology. We know how languages, language pieces together. But language piecing together is, in the, exa is the exact same as information piecing together. Uh, I'll give you a, a slight, so, sorry. So where he started looking at is, so we need to, he came up with this vision. So when all the translation goes away and we're only doing the core elements, what does our company do? And our company manages this information. Now that information management system can handle million manuals, a million manuals, right? And I'll give you, a, a, here, here's a description of how he described the problem to us, right? So let's say you develop cars, uh, BMW, right? Just pick a BMW, just as an example, right? So they have a wide variety of models, you know, the 316, the 328, the 5, the 7, whatever, right? Now, in each car, they have similar, very similar elements, right? So let's say they have a part in the engine uh, under the bonnet and it breaks, right? And you go, oh, it breaks because it was a design fault, right? And we need to re-gear this element, right? Which means that instead of having a, 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 a two millimeter screw with an X tolerance, you have a three millimeter screw with a Y tolerance. How many manuals do I have to change? And how many languages do I have to change it in? Right? So that's the problem. And our guys were going, hey, we know the answer to that. Because we have all of that data. So if we could work out that which manuals, we could go back to BMW and say, hey, you only have to change 400 of them, right? And we'll do that for you in the afternoon, right? So that's sort of, you know, that's very simplistic view, but we have the ability to do that, right? Um, in the same lice, take that another step forward. So you've got this one screw, and now it's not a search and replace. You're not searching for three and two. That screw implement is, impacts the quality test for the blah, 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 so there's a test. But how do you, so change that screw impacts quality test one, two, three, four. So now you have to change all the manuals to say quality test one, two, three, four. So we're able to connect that screw equals that quality process. So, so that's, that's an, a, a, an intelligent connection. So we have lots of these intelligent connections that we piece together. And that then gives us the information. And then if you say, I have it all in French. And we have it, a click of a button, we have it manually translated or machine translated uh, or whatever. And just on the machine translation, just as a little piece on the, on the innovation side of it, is that we can machine translate it so you have it now. So it's instantly available for your engineers, but it may not be the perfect quality. And then we can say, and send it for translation professionally. And then in two or three days later, you'll have the professional translation. That's very interesting. Thank you. Uh, yeah. Um, one final question we'd like to ask you is, how do you become a real human translator? Okay, so that one is not... It's not so there are a number of colleges that do uh, professional translation degrees, and that's what we recommend anybody to do. So there's a, we, we judge translators on a couple, of, a couple of elements, but the first thing is go for a professional degree right, in translation. Second thing is to uh, specialize in an area. So for us, you know, nobody knows everything, 
Um, so we like people that come in and say, right, I am very good at cars or I want to translate software or I want to translate uh, pharmaceuticals or, you know, be very specific. Because it's very, you know, I, I get at the moment probably about 10 CVs a day and I just can't read them all, you know, and you're going through and like, like so at the moment, so for example, uh, we are, Irish translators are in high demand. So we cannot meet the demand for translation for English into Irish for Irish government documents at the moment. Uh, because of the, the, the move into the EU. Irish is now an EU language, so there's massive demand. So that's something we're on the lookout for. So that's very specific. So Irish translators into, into government. But in the same way, so when, when I scan through all the CVs, I am looking for someone that has a degree, someone that has a specialism of some form, because then I can go, right, that's what you're good at. And that instantly goes into our data. We, have a, keep, a, we keep a database of everybody, uh, of their skills, their degree, what they're good at and what they know. We also have things on technical skills. So for example, one of the challenges, as I talked earlier on, is that we have all this multimedia and there's so much stuff going on. So if you know about HTML, if you know about InDesign, know something that you can bring extra uh, to us, right? Because I, I, I need to know, you might, yeah, I, can, I want to translate websites about this, but if I said, well, if I, have, if I send you a load of HTML, are you gonna have a freak out if I say, oh, you know you deleted that tag, will you know what I'm talking about? So that's very important for us to know. So we sort of have, different people and we put them in sort of little boxes. So there's a couple of grades. So that's what we recommend you do. Um, and then you just try and get it, get in the door. You know, it's tough to get in the door because for, for the likes of ourselves, um, our quality standards are really super high, right? So we're, we're looking at sort of trying to get the, the best people possible. And also because the work we, we, we do is, you know, has very high impact. Like we translate for government, we translate COVID material. We translate, you know, so, you know, machines where, you know, people can get hurt, right? It's got to be right. So we can't say, well, you're a new guy, so we'll give you this job, right? You know, you can work on the next upright machine. <laughs> no, it doesn't happen, right? So, uh, uh, but, uh, so you have to sort of start on low, start on any small, you know, start on the small jobs and work your way up. But there, there, are, there are plenty of opportunities over. Translation as well, just when you say real translator, there is physical written translation, but there's also voiceover work. You know, if you're into that, you can get into voiceovers, you know, video animation, there's, there's subtitling, there's lots of other areas. So don't think about translation uh, as just pure, I translate words, it, you know, translating content. There's lots of lots of stuff out there um, and, and lots of different areas. So it, it can be, it's an exciting business and it's growing all the time. I wish we had time for more, but I, I, I'm sure the folks have questions, but I think we'll probably have to wrap up there. Thank you so much for sharing your experience with us. It's been really interesting. Thank you. Thanks very much. And hopefully that was useful for everybody. Thanks, Damien. Brilliant. Thank you for listening to Design Talk. The music used is Check Them In by Emma Grace, an AI Vocaloid virtual singer-artist. Credits and links in the show notes. If you like listening to this, add it to your playlist to get notified when we release new episodes.